show i see things a little differently this is your monday show this is um as if you haven't heard it already this past weekend we did the crown jewel review we talked a little bit about aw there as well um so go back in the archives and check that out we also had to match a month this this week um one that's been in the can for about four months now three or four months it feels like um so i just uh, need one more match in a month for december and we'll figure that out but um, this one is going to be my part three and final um, review of Guy Evans' book, Nitro. I uh, listened to all of it maybe a month ago, and I, j- I wrote down notes for this last part because... Um, let's me open up my bottle of water, sorry. Excuse me. Because there's some, there's some good stuff here. And overall, I want to say... I rate the book about a 10, um, I 10, and that's simply because of the access this guy was able to get, and the writer in me is just so impressed how much I'm sure he left because it might have been interesting to him, but not necessarily interesting to the uh, the, uh, the average reader, whatever you want to call it, um, just, I was just impressed though. Um, so anyways, let's get to it. You have to have already heard part one, part two. If you haven't, they are in the archives. Um, a lot of this is f- focused on Russo. Russo has always said the story that made him go to WCW was him feeling un- underappreciated. And he has always said that the story that made him go was now they're starting SmackDown. Now it's two more hours of television he has to write. No increase. And pay increase. And he went to Vince and said, hey, I want to make some more. I want to move my you know, my wife to be closer to her family because I'm never home. And Vince supposedly said, well, you make enough to hire a nanny. That was always the thing that made him get so insulted to where he just had to get out of there. Also, he's added to that. He said he wants to, he wants to see if he could do it without Vince. And he knew he wasn't getting the credit he deserved, blah, 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 blah. Um, but that's been the main basis of the story. He tells the same story to Guy Evans as well. So, let's just start off with some of the things that we, we have. Russo's, let's just tell some of the, the random stories for Russo. I want to start with this one. Russo's endgame with Stacey Keebler and David Flair. At the time, they were a couple, David Flair and Stacey Keebler. Uh, his endgame was for them to be brother and sister, and to be married, and Rick would have to reveal that they were family. Sounds like a Russo plan. It really does. Um, that's not really surprising. <laughs> you know, uh, but Russo is a very interesting figure because Russo, I think I said this in part two, but Russo, I didn't realize how he started by burying WWE, and then he ended up getting the opportunity to work with them, and he kind of portrayed his first ever partner. 
And so that's how he got into WWEs by stop bad mouthing him and getting the opportunity, which is the thing that put him on the map. Which is it makes more sense now why he talking bad about them in the, still to this day. It's the thing that put him on the map. Now they know what he is, so they, they obviously don't want him back, you know. <laughs> but it it just it makes sense of the things he's done over and over again in his career, and also it this. The ending of this really paints Russo in a bad light, and it really made me think to myself, okay, what, how, what, and how do I feel about this actually? Like, how do I really feel about Vince Russo? Do I think he, because you remember, if you watch Dark Side of the Ring, one of the producers asked Dave Meltzer, has Vince Russo done more, done more harm than good in the wrestling business? And Vince said, more harm. I, it made me think about that question. And I actually agree with that because he's been given chance after chance after chance because he always says how much he can help. His version of help just doesn't work anymore. His version of help, the Crash TV model, can only last in that era. It wouldn't even last now because it makes it is they people like what they like now. There is no back and forth when. NXT and AEW went head-to-head. It wasn't a real NXT going head-to-head against AEW. It was all of WWE's roster versus AEW. Which I don't think anyone could... And no, People aren't going to like this. But the reality is... AEW does not have this, the needle movers that WWE has. They just don't. Not right now. And Which makes something I'm, I'm going to talk about... Or something I talked about this past week on Saturday... Uh, which is how I feel, even more prevalent with the whole Ric Flair and Edge signings. It's something that even uh, JT, who's fronting the show, has said as well about needle movers. WWE has those needle movies. They had John, they have John Cena, they have The Rock. AEW has very few needle movers. F any? Like to me, I think MJF is a needle mover. I think Kenny Omega is a needle mover. Against those guys, probably not. Look here. AEW is going to stay around that 700,000 to a million viewers no matter what. That's still good. And guess what? Competition is still good as well. I got off track, but the point I'm saying is about this is is that I actually agree with Dave Meltzer's take now just because of hearing these stories. It's just like the reason why I told started with that story is because even if Vince was to now refute what he said to Guy Evans, it's just so believable because that's, that's his M.O. It's just it's why him and Vince work so well. It's why him and Vince McMahon work so well because they're both nuts, though. And they will only they would love to pitch these kind of crazy stories. But I just start with start with that, right? And also, look think about Russo's reign. It lasted 35 nitros, 30 thunders. Nitro's numbers at that time went down to 2.1 million viewers. Thunder's numbers went up. 2.5 all pay-per-views were by up by small percentages there were 20 different world heavyweight champions under vince russo's regime vince russo's official last day was october 2nd 2000 his reign lasted one year i didn't even realize that i didn't even realize that the rain lasted two a uh, full of uh, one full year. But if you think about it, it wasn't even a full year because at one point in time, 
Russo actually ended up being sent home because he didn't want to work on a booking committee. So he got paid millions, millions of dollars because it was a million dollar year deal. So like three million million dollars, he was able to get out of his contract early to work with WWE in 2002, and he got paid all of his money. So like this guy made out like a bandit. But I'm gonna read. Like just think about those numbers. Just think about that. How much did he help? Not, not very much. And Thunder, by the time he took over, was strictly a B show. It was strictly, and these are these are facts. It had turned into the recorded show. It got that's why it was so bad is because it got to the point where it was recorded after all. So it's one of those things where wow, didn't see that coming. Anyways, um anyways, um it didn't help. It was it was strictly a B show. So how much did he actually help? Sounds like the, we we all know People are going to watch recorded shows, especially when they know it's recorded. Either they're going to watch it in the wrestling world or they're not. It's why he first got influence in WWE. Because of a bad recorded show that Vince thought would do better numbers. And it didn't do better numbers. So, but people, we, we just, that, that era started then. Either you're going to watch the show or you're not. Some people watch, some people are diehards, they watch everything. Some people are just like, hmm, I think I'm good. I already know it's going to happen. All that good stuff. So, sorry about that, guys. Actually, <clears throat> um, hit. I got I got really distracted, and I actually could, was trying to hit the pause button on my recording uh, microphone and up hitting the end button. So it'll be whatever. Anyways, um, so much help do you actually have? How much help do you actually do? You know, that's the most interesting thing to me is these numbers don't lie. Men can women men can lie, women can lie, but numbers just don't lie. These are the numbers, and 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 Guy Evans did a great job with these numbers. But I just want to start off by saying, you know, look at look at these numbers and look what he contributed or what did he. And, and look here, and Vince Russo will always have his fans, just like Jim Cornette will always always have his fans. You cannot write a book of wrestling without Vince Russo having his own chapter. That's just what it is. In the book of wrestling, Vince Russo has made a mark whether you think it's good or bad. This was not a good look for him. But it's one of those things that just, you know. So anyways, I, I did want to point out, under Vince Russo's reign, we did get DDP as a world heavyweight champion for the first time. We did get Jeff Jarrett as a world champion. Bret Hart was finally uh, put over. His contract was finally put over. He became WWE champion. I mean, excuse me, uh, WCW World Heavyweight Champion. Booker T became World Heavyweight Champion. But also in that reign, we had David Arquette as a World Champion. Also in that reign, we had Vince Russo as a World Heavyweight Champion. Also in that reign, Vacant had so many fucking title reigns. <laughs> so, do with that information wherever you will. Anyways, as the merger is getting closer and closer to happening... This whole thing is, the way Guy Evans presented this thing, it came off as strictly a coup happening all behind Ted Turner's back because it it, it feels like all these things were happening and people are being put in place without Ted knowing or Ted assuming that these same people were going to have his back. 
Um, it, it, it's really, really interesting what was going on here. And as this merge is happening, as these sales are uh, coming together, a woman who was really close with Brad Siegel, named McKnight, she was approached, her last name's McKnight, she was approached by J.J. Dillon and Jeff Jarrett, uh, Jerry Jarrett, excuse me, and they asked, hey, can you get us in a room with Brad Siegel? Because at that point in time, Brad Siegel was ignoring their, their phone calls. And she, they knew she had a direct connection with him. And so she said, yeah, I can get him on a, a, a meeting. And so they pitched to her their idea for buying WCW. And she liked it. And she wanted to be a part of it. And so she called Brad, asked for a meeting. Brad said, yeah, sure, you're coming tomorrow. He doesn't know. He has no idea that she's coming in with those two. So she gets there the very next day. And Brad Siegel's like, what the hell is this? Because now he's been ambushed. He says, you guys got two minutes. And she says, supposedly, uh, we want this. And this is the pitch we have. So apparently Brad Siegel was very impressed with the pitch, but he knew that the sale was just wasn't going to happen. He had a feeling that Turner, the execs that were not t- Ted, wanted nothing to do with wrestling. He just, he just knew they didn't want it. So I had no clue of this story. I had no idea this thing was ever a, th- a thing. Brad Siegel was the one who held a lot of the cards. He knew a lot of the players, knew a lot of things that were happening. He allowed this thing to die without even giving people the opportunity to even buy it and maybe see if they could keep wrestling alive on the Superstation. That, to me, is very interesting in itself. Jamie Kellner was the one that canceled WCW at the end of the day. Kellner did not want to strike a deal with the Bischoff's group or anything because he just wanted wrestling gone. And he didn't want to make any promises. Jamie Kellner is a name that you'll hear over and over again. He's like the the he's he's like a um the boogeyman, best way I could describe it. Every time I've heard him has been bad. And it was a great line that Kellner had used that I'd never thought of until this line, which is a great line. Ratings mean nothing if you cannot monetize it. They were losing sponsorships and it just wasn't gonna work out. And he just didn't know and that's a good point so when you think about everything that WCW was doing at the time even with them having good ratings if they're losing uh, money if they can't monetize those ratings it does nothing it's the reason why now Raw can do a million viewers and they're still making more money because they're monetizing everything else around them whether it's merchandising, whether it's literally having people buy their PLEs, which is what they're doing right now. Like, Saudi Arabia literally has bought these PLEs and given them however much money. It's why you can give Shawn Michaels $3 million to do one more match. <laughs> because you're making so much more of this. You know what I'm saying? So, that is uh, that was a very fascinating thing. It also makes me think about... Even I remember talking to someone about the podcast, right? They're like, you can make more money off this. I said, no, I said, that's one thing about doing certain things. 
but I'm just, I'm just trying to make it as subtle as possible, you know. He was like, yeah, but sometimes some things, if, if, if they're really your, your, your viewership, then they'll listen no matter what. And those people that will drop off because of, if you add a commercial or two, you will find people that will put that will come back in. And I'm like, hmm, that just sounds like a fair fucking point. You know, so th- those lines were interesting. But essentially, Turner made WCW unsellable when they announced the cancellation of the program. They could have, they could have literally, instead of not, because they had so, apparently they had so many people interested in buying the product. They have so many people interested in buying WCW, but then they said, well, we're just gonna cancel it anyway. So then they made it unsellable because they just didn't want it, which is crazy, because Viacom wanted to buy WCW. They even had went out of their way to block Vince McMahon. Here's the story. So Vince was approached November of night of 2000. November of 2000, Vince McMahon was approached to buy WCW, and Turner was very interested in selling it to him, and they were going to make sure that you know he paid a heavy price. And Vince was wanting to buy buy because he just wanted to kill the competition. Well, Viacom had blocked it because Viacom said, "Well, no, we're interested." You know, but we don't want to just cancel it. We will keep it on the air. We'll pay top dollar for it, everything else. Now, here's the thing. If you're at, in, in this book, uh, the person that talked to uh, Guy Evans said they don't know if Viacom actually wanted it or if they wanted to stay in competition with Vince McMahon. So they don't, but either way, they were paying, but, at the, but you think about it, it didn't matter. They were still willing to pay top dollars to keep WCW on the air. So, they're blocking him, they're blocking him. Vince doesn't really realize that this is a real thing. Like he, He's open to hearing it, but he's like, is WCW really dead? This is before they announced the cancellation. And then Vince McMahon gets word, he hears, oh, well, Viacom just doesn't want you to buy it. They don't care if anyone else buys it. They don't want you to buy it. So then all of a sudden, Mr. McMahon says, oh, I'm interested. And this is in January. And then Viacom backs out. Because they thought that Vince was going to raise the price up to a tremendous amount of money. They thought they thought Vince McMahon was going to uh, like raise it to like $40, $50 million, $60 million. They didn't want to pay, spend that much. Like Eric Bischoff and his group, they were going to spend like, I think, $80 million. If Icom just didn't want to spend that much money. And so they backed out. But because they announced the cancellation of the program, it made it worthless. Like, you can buy the tapes in the library and stuff, but without the TV time, it's literally five bucks. Jay-Z had a great line when he was talking to Kevin Hart on an interview. I've not seen the full interview. I've just seen this line. Jay-Z said, people look at Steve Jobs when he owned Apple. He only owned 1% of Apple. And they laughed about that. But he said that 1% of a trillion-dollar company made him a billionaire. He was like, you can own 100%, but if that 100% is nothing, then you own nothing. And I was like, that's a great fucking point right there. So, anyways, um, I, I thought about that, and it's one of those things where they literally lowered their own asking price, all because they just didn't want, they literally sacrificed millions upon millions of dollars because of pride and ego. In the end, WCW was bought for $2.5 million plus extra costs due to owning the rights of certain assets, which raised the price to $4.3 million dollars. So we, so I have the final number. I've always won. I've always been told it was for two million, 
but it was for $4.3 million to own the rights to everything. Vincent Mann literally has paid more for pussy than he has for WCW, which is truly a shame. And that's the legacy of WC, how WCW ends, is it, it was paid for $4.3 million. And that's all Turner's fault. That's all Turner's fault to the execs of Turner, which is crazy. So for me, when I left this audiobook, I left this audiobook with this on my mind, on my, my soul, my head. Did standards and practices really screw over WCW? Because Vince had standards and practices for years. We still have standards and practices now, if you think about it. Why couldn't WCW evolve? Yeah, I've heard Kevin Nash and other people say, well, they had Val Venus with Jenna Jameson. Well, we have to do So, isn't that where you get more creative? The one thing I know for a fact is that Kevin Sullivan, when he brought when they brought Hulk Hogan about, uh, uh, up on board, he had to come up with creative ways to make Hulk Hogan feel comfortable. So he created the Dungeon of Doom. Do you really think Kevin Sullivan wanted to be a part of the fucking Dungeon of Doom? In all seriousness. Do you think so? I don't think so. But he was. You tell me you can't be more creative? Look at what we got now. We have a very PG product in, in WWE. Cody went from bleeding every fucking week to now being very, very tame in his brawls, still great on promos. Can't it can't be done? That that's just a cop out. Everybody who says that is a cop out. Uh because standards and practices did, and Nash had standards and practices in WWE while he was the world champion. So it's not a real story. It's not a real reason. It's just another extracurricular BS reason. Standards and practices were a real thing, but it weren't the reason. Is Vince Russo a fraud? I think he pitched nothing. I know we pitched him. Uh, uh, he pitched him that he was the mastermind behind everything, and it wasn't. It was clearly Vince McMahon who filtered ideas, who he filtered ideas through. And there's nothing wrong with that. And um, he was never the mastermind, though. He was never the guy that was going to make the final decision. And we saw, and these are, and then I just told you guys the numbers earlier about when he was the man making those decisions, what he did. It was more crash TV when it didn't need to be crash TV. It was time to have calm TV. <laughs> it was time to tell some some stories and and. Now, the part where he might have gotten a bad deal is he, him done with Hulk Hogan's contract. But that's what you get when that's what you get when you go into the he know everyone knew at the time everyone knew that Hulk Hogan had creative control. Here's a here's a fun fact for, for you guys who didn't know. Hogan in 97, November of 97's contract was up. He was negotiating with the WWE. True story. There was talks of bringing Hulk Hogan back in 97 to WWE. And Hogan wanted the same deal he had with WCW. He wanted creative control. He wanted the money he got. He got a bunch of percentages. And he wanted more money. Of course, WWE, they just they, they just reneged on the promise to fucking Bret Hart. So they couldn't then have Hulk Hogan. And Hogan was never getting creative control in WWE. So, that just wasn't going to happen. So, anyways, is he a fraud? From the stories that that they were telling in this story, in, the, in this particular storybook or audiobook, he pitched himself, uh, he pitched them a bad set of goods. He guaranteed them he could bring certain numbers home, 
and for maybe the first month, he brought home some decent numbers, but WWE was way too far ahead, and he just he did it to get more money, and he got his money, which is good for him, fantastic for him. Everything he he pitched himself to be was not what that was. My final take from this book is it's amazing. If you don't, if you're not a big reader, uh, I would suggest the audiobook. Um, me personally, the reason why I, I go audiobooks now is because um, I was just telling my barber this today too, as, I, as I'm recording this. I found myself reading a lot, but then when people see you're reading, they didn't want to have a conversation with you. And then I found myself reading at work a lot. At the time, I had, I had my own desk or whatever, so I leave books on my desk. Now I pick them up, and I remember people would touch the book, put it out of its place. People are naturally fucking nosy. And then one one point in time, I had paid like 40 bucks for a book. And I remember I left it at work, came back to work like two days later. The fucking janitor threw the fucking book away so I thought it was trash. I was like, why would you think the fucking book on my desk is trash? Why are you throwing shit away on my desk? Yeah, so I just said, fuck, I'm going to go audiobook route. It's just easier. And I'm, I'm, I'm more on the move now. I'm barely ever home. Dude, I literally, I literally pay rent for an apartment. That just has my stuff. It's a storage. So I'm trying to get more time to myself. I, I give it a 10 out of 10, man. Um, I thought it was fantastic. And I guess my final takeaway of it is it's just sad and depressing. It's depre- As I said in the episode with JT, it's just depressing because it's just like it didn't have to be this way. But execs didn't want it. Execs were trying to get their own position and their own money. And they were trying to make themselves look as good as possible. And they really screwed Ted Turner, and they really screwed themselves out of more money because they just didn't like something. Think about that. Think about how much you have to hate something in order to just screw yourself out of eighty million dollars. Think about that. That's just crazy to me. But teach your own, I guess, right? Anyways. I'm the Slow Chemical. This is your Monday show. Check me out on Wednesday. We have episode 5 review of Loki, the penultimate episode. And tell me my thoughts on that. I'll talk to you guys on Wednesday. I am the Slow Chemical. This is I See Things a Little Differently. We are out.